Hey everybody, welcome to Mining Stock Daily. It is Friday, August 2nd. Thank you for tuning in. We got another in-depth interview, and actually this is going to be two interviews. My last uh, round of interviews from a round of content produced out of the Yukon Mining Alliance trip uh, just two weeks ago. We got great discussions with Matt Turner from Rockhaven and a young fund manager by the name of Matt Geiger you may recognize. So that's just coming up here in moments. We would like to show our appreciation and give our thanks to the show's sponsors. That's Brixton Metals, Pacific Empire Minerals, Integra Resources, and Western Copper and Gold. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast. So I'm going to air these next two interviews. Hopefully next week we're going to get back on a regular schedule with the news Monday through Thursday, and then the interviews again on Friday. So stay tuned for that. Uh, in my discussion with Matt, he chats a lot about being the CEO of a uh, small exploration play in the Yukon and how you manage that during such a bear market we just got through. And Matt gives us a little bit of insight in how he evaluates stocks and where he's been placing some of his money. That's all to come here in the next oh, about 15, 18 minutes. So I'll see you on the flip side. Thanks for listening. I can't, I can't thank you enough for tuning in each and every day. We'll talk to you again uh, next Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Take care. And welcome to Mining Stock Daily. This is Trevor Hall, your host for today. And sitting with me now is Rockhaven Resources CEO Matt Turner. Rockhaven Resources trades on the TSX Venture with the symbol RK. Matt, it's good to have you. First time on the show. We yeah, just did a. Here, we had a, a nice little property tour uh, with your stuff on today, and it was kind of fun because we got to hike around the bush a little bit yeah, and, and be on top probably, of the mountain. Uh, probably a unique tour for for most of you guys to actually go out and almost get sent prospecting. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> you know, you should put a, give us a sack or something to start pulling yeah, exactly. rocks and stuff. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the neat things with Clasa though is um, is there's so much to see within kind of the. The general area of camp and uh, you can you know literally visit the the tops of the of the resources and uh and get a sense of the mineralization and the continuity and all that just you know within a what it take us about a 45 minute hike around so, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. pretty cool to yeah, be able yeah. to do that so i think one of the, my biggest takeaways is we you you kind of you really took us on a tour of, of the mineralization the veins that are coming up uh from the <laughs> Uh, coming up on the surface so you could kind of see the structure and how it it moves down down the hill and so from that you can almost like you can envision what a mine plan would look like it's literally step by step moving down Um, so that was really nice Uh, you know kind of for for those of us for those people listening who weren't there give us a kind of rundown of that vein structure and the porphyry mineralization that is below that yeah so the um the the mineralizes the mineralizing system at Clasa is is almost textbook when you're when you're looking up a porphyry to epithermal transition model. So on the property itself, we see the porphyry, and we can follow the structures that basically radiate off that porphyry center, that which is essentially the heat source, um, and in, and in, and partially the metal source for our mineralization. We can follow those structures up the hill. And um, and along strike to where they really start um, 
uh, producing the the the, 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 the the ounces that we see and the, the high grade ounces that that um, that the resource hosts. Um, but it's one of those really amazing deposits where you can literally walk, uh, um, you know, basically a, a, a textbook uh, example of a of a porphyry epithermal model, and. Um, and you can get kind of out into the distal part of the epithermal system where you really get the nice high grades with the uh, high grade golds but with the high grade silver, lead and zinc. Um, so most of the high grade gold stuff came from drilling last year, right, in 2018? Um, actually, the, um, when we first really identified the high grade gold portion of the, of the system was back in 2013. And that was through those trenches that, that we would have visited. So that was the really neat thing was when we did those closely spaced trenches, we, um, we were really able to prove what was potentially there, right, at least on surface. And then we were able to raise money off those trench results. And that was a really tough market too. 2014, it was, it was a rough one. And um, we were able to raise a couple million bucks. We went out there and hit on essentially every hole and hit really nice high-grade mineralization. And then um, from that, we were able to raise probably another five million or so, and that led us into, uh, that was a 20,000-meter drill program back in, in 2015. So I do want to ask you about managing a company like this through bad markets, and yeah. that's, that's really important to, to bring up. But I do want to ask you about the resource estimate that you put out last year that had well, one... 1.62 million ounces of gold equivalent of about six grams per ton. Yeah. I mean, very good high-grade numbers. Uh, you know, I think the market wants to see two million ounces, and there's really good potential with what I saw that there there is two million ounces. Um, but I'm almost wondering, are you were you too conservative with that estimate? Um, well, it's an estimate on what we know right now, and um, we've got we made new discoveries adjacent to the resources. Um, but we haven't truly, re you know, quantified those yet through through further drilling. So that's going to be the next step, is to see what those new discoveries hold, right? As we as we as we follow them along, strike and at depth, and um, and yeah, you never know what you know what they'll be able to potentially add to the resource. But I think um, I think the resource as that we have right now, for what we know. It's um, it 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 makes sense, and it'll be, um, and I think it's something that um, you know we can add on, and especially you know when you start looking at uh, you know the two million ounce equivalents, kind of hopefully on the horizon soon, and and you know who knows what else after that, right? So, uh, real quick about the company structure, what's kind of amazing is that there's no big third party involvement in it, so there's no stream or royalty agreement on it, like. And with a lot of projects, you don't you don't see that anymore. Like it seems like somebody's got their hand in the royalty of someone. So how did how how have you managed to do that over the years? Well, the the project or the the claims that we picked up, we've actually paid a premium, an added premium to extinguish any royalty, um, on some of the claims. Um, other claims we've actually just staked ourselves, so they've just come right into our our portfolio. Um, there's other claims that have about 10% or so of the claims have, they, they would have had a third party royalty on them that we would have had to have negotiated with, with that third party. But um, the biggest thing right now is the, resor the, the claims that cover the resources and the bulk of the other claims on the project are totally unencumbered.
which is huge. And again, yeah, like you say, that's rare to find in this day and age. The other thing that's rare to find is knowing that you have a resource estimate, but you don't have a whole lot of cash, and you know you're in a really tough market, which we've been in in the, definitely the last year, year and a half, I mean, the signs that were coming out of that, that it almost seems you just kind of put things on hold. And, and that's a hard thing to swallow. It, it, I understand shareholders are upset because there's lack of activity, there's lack of news, but it, that's something that you decided needed to be done. How hard of a decision was it to just say, we're basically going to not do much and, and kind of swallow our pride and get through this? Totally. A, a, a extremely hard decision, especially the geologist inside of me, the exploration geologist, where you have all these you know great targets to keep adding more to the to the project. But when you when you look at our share structure, between uh, insiders, strategic metals, Tocqueville Asset Management, Coor Mining, um, friends and family, you know that that if you total all those up, you're you're getting close to 80% of the of the of the shares outstanding, and so those guys are coming to to me and saying, be patient, man, wait for the market to come back, and then hit it hard. So. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't just your decision to have, you had the back. L- listening to shareholders. That said, you know, we're still getting in front of some, uh, some, some key groups, and if a million or two million bucks comes up, and it's, again, with the right group, then we'd probably take that. And, and for and the other great thing about Klaus is that the exploration costs are so low. They're, they're the lowest in northern Canada. We're looking at about $200 all in a meter. Um, so... You know, for every million bucks, you get 5,000 meters of drilling. And right now, our current plan is uh, it's a pretty expe- extensive drill program for, again, the next time we get out, whether that's sometime this year or, or next year. But that's, um, that's only 2 million bucks to give us 10,000 meters. And again, that should uh, answer a lot of questions, right, for us. Uh, we got about a minute left, so I just wanted to ask you quickly. I mean, you're definitely going to have to finance. you got to raise some money. Uh, what's the base number you'd be looking at? Would it be that one to two million? Would you go higher? Yeah, I think I think that would probably make the most sense. One to two million right now. Um, the 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 market cap of the company is about 17, 16, 17 million Canadian. So you know when you equate that back to the uh, 1.6 million ounces, that gives you about eight bucks an, an ounce US in the ground. So for a for a, for a five gram, 1.6 million ounce deposit, that's uh, you know, our our peers are trading uh, typically north of 25 bucks an ounce in the ground, so um, we don't want to do too much dilution down here. Is basically what I'm getting at. Um, but again, it's you know what we do do. It's uh, it's it's going to be with the right people. So. Well, Matt, uh, best of luck to you. Thanks uh, for welcoming us to the property and uh, having us walk around a little bit. And it was really fun, so I appreciate that. Uh, that's Matt Turner. He's the CEO of Rockhaven Resources, which is traded on the TSX Venture Exchange with the symbol RK. Once again, reporting from the Yukon Mining Investment Conference in Dawson City, Yukon. And with me, I have a new guest to the show. That's Matt Geiger from MJG Capital, based in San Francisco. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Trevor. Thanks for having me. So, 
people, I mean, obviously they can't see you, but they may recognize the voice. Uh, you were, you had a nice video presentation from a uh, investment conference about a month or two ago that made some uh, made some traction, and so it's nice to actually meet you in person. I did watch that when it first came out. Um, I wanted to ask you the, the thing that that sticks out about you is that you are. You're young, what, 27 years old? That is right, yep. And like the youngest fund manager in the resource market that we know of? Especially for an industry that is uh, this old, I would say. It, uh, it's, I, I feel like there's few and uh, far of us um, at this age. And, yeah. you know, we, we can relate. In my mind, anybody under 50 years old is a spring chicken in this industry. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and we've talked about that numerous times. It's like, yep. yeah, actually, at this conference, there's a lot of younger people. It's, yeah. uh, it's good to see. It, it, it is really good to see. It's a younger conversation. Uh, I think there's some new ideas, especially on the approach to investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just uh, off, speaking of that topic, we, you and I were chatting a little bit on our approach and mm-hmm. why we put money into certain stocks, and you are definitely valuation-driven. So give us a little quick rundown. I know you have a lot of due diligence, but kind of give us a rundown of things on the valuation side that you really look at when it comes to considering putting money into a resource, a junior resource company. Absolutely. Well, qu- some quick background on the fund here. Um, so full resource focus. Uh, we keep a very concentrated portfolio of roughly 20 names at any given time. Um, It depends on the market conditions. Recently, we've been initiating most of our positions through private placements. Um, I think due to the weakness we've seen really since the beginning of 2018, um, up until just a a couple months ago, it looks like things may have uh, started picking up uh, in May. Um, But it's it's been a good opportunity to be able to finance companies with pretty attractive terms and get some added uh, upside through through warrants. Um, I think it's a longer discussion uh, in terms of the valuation piece. Um, I really look through different lenses depending on the stage of the company. So in terms of the prospect generator space, um, kind of starting at the earlier st- uh, stage of the of the industry, um, that's one of my favorite business models, uh, mainly because it minimizes dilution, which I think is uh, the number one enemy of junior resource investors out there. Uh, in terms of evaluating uh, prospect generators, one pretty easy thing I look at uh, is the company's enterprise value at the moment uh, relative to the amount of money that is going to be put into the ground um, by uh, larger partners over the course of the next 12 months. And I think if you start... Uh, comparing prospect generators, um, looking at that ratio, you can get a good a good sense for value there. So in the earlier stage of the business, that's what I look at. Um, if you're looking at the development names, those that have either a PEA, a pre-fees, or a feasibility study already announced, um, I'll usually look at the after-tax NPV um, and then discount that based on the stage of the project. Um, obviously, I want to make sure that the assumptions going into the study are realistic. So generally, I want to see a discount rate of between 8 to 10% used. Um, I really want to see the company using spot metal prices. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a real red flag for me when I see companies using a copper price or a gold price that's 10 to 20% above spot. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, optionality investing. I know there's some investors that have made a lot of money um, kind of betting on $2,000 gold or $4 copper or what have you. But for the companies we invest in, um, I want to see the company making uh, money at spot prices. And so again, depending on the stage of the company, uh, generally for a respectable, you know, decent looking uh, economics on the, at the PEA stage, I'll discount the after-tax NPV by a whole 90% and then look at the company's enterprise value relative to that uh, discounted number. 
And so, for instance, if I see a company trading at, say, 3 or 4% of after-tax NPV um, and they're at the PEA stage, that to me gets, gets, gets me excited because I say, look, if it's a decent project, it should probably be at 10%. Again, these are very ballpark numbers, but if you start seeing extreme disparities, that's when you get excited and, and dig in. Um, at the pre-fees level, I'll generally uh, discount the after-tax NPV by 80%. And then at the feasibility level, I'll generally discount the after-tax MPV by 70%. Again, this is very back of the envelope, but that's kind of when I first look at a company at this stage in order to determine whether it's something to get excited about, that's what I'll look at. If it looks interesting, it looks like there's a big gap between where it should be trading and where it's currently valued at, then I'll dig deeper, see if there's a reason for that. And if there's not, maybe that's an opportunity. And then really quickly, I'll, I'll touch on the royalty names. Um, we don't have all too many uh, actual producers in the portfolio, so I I guess the, the royalty names are the closest things we have to, to production. And uh, I'll usually just look at a simple price to cash flow multiple. Um, I, am a, I am a sucker for the junior royalty names, at least the better managed ones. Um, I like the opportunity that surrounds um, A, uh, production growth and, and, the, and the chance of the company increasing their cash flow. And also multiple expansion, which you'll often see because the junior royalty names are generally traded at you know price to cash flow multiples that are uh, below 10. Whereas if you look at the big boys, you know I think Franco, I, I haven't checked their price recently, but they're probably at a 25x um, ratio. So if things go right, you can have a company that's both uh, growing their cash flow and then also seeing multiple expansion, and that's with, when you can see pretty big gains with the royalty companies. So you know I, there's there's some other business models. I have other valuation techniques, but that's kind of you know again I, I take a different. It depends on the type of company. It depends on the business model, and then I kind of have my uh, my approach to valuing them. So in, before you had mentioned something about dilution, you and I actually had, a, I think, like two conversations about dilution earlier yes, on, the, on the bus. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of of that mindset where it's, it's a hard swallow for me to invest or even keep money into a company that has more than 300 or 400 million shares. Mm -hmm. And you came out and really stated, like, that doesn't mean much difference as long as I know that they're undervalued. And so, you know, it, it's... You know, we're of two different little mindsets. Right. I, but I was also coming after off of a week where one company that I had already swallowed diluted even more, and right. I and I and I was out. So I, I think we're largely on the same page here. I think we're just looking at it from different angles. Um, for me, what's more important is the company's valuation because I know you can play with share counts pretty easily by doing reverse splits. So to me, seeing a blown out share structure on its own right isn't a deal breaker. However, I think the reason we are on the same page here is I, I like tight share structure. I like, I like companies that have high insider ownership um, and, you know, companies where ownership's concentrated amongst a few parties, right? Um, usually when we get involved, there's not a big retail presence um, in the names. And so I think kind of where we are on the same page here is if you look at the companies with uh, lower share counts, generally that is a sign of a, a tight share structure and a company that's closely held. Um, Companies that have 400, 500 million shares out, uh, generally, not always, but generally, that is a sign of low management ownership. That is a sign of you know shares distributed amongst many hands, and I, I think that's that's kind of what I what I worry about. So I look less at the actual share count and more at how tightly it's held. And again, um, generally, the companies with blown out share structures are not tightly held. But if I do see a company with four or five hundred shares out, or four, four or five hundred million shares out, but you know management owns double digits, and there's a, a few institutions that own you know substantial chunks as well then that doesn't bother me at all. 
So we only have about a minute and a half left. So I want to ask you real quick, since we are here in the Yukon and the sun's finally shining after <laughs> a long day of uh, smoke haze and even rain, uh, what's one thing that's really surprised you most about this trip? Well, I'm going to say two. Okay. The, the first is the, the, the quality of management here um, and kind of the cohesion. Uh, at least the group that were, were here, they're very supportive um, kind of across the board. You don't have management teams here slagging each other's project, products, uh, projects. I think that they want to see the Yukon succeed as a whole. And they, and they believe that if, if one project succeeds, like Victoria Gold or Alexco, that it's going to reap benefits for the, for the entire region. And then secondly, as you mentioned earlier, there's a real young uh, crop of people here, which is, which is really encouraging to see. Uh, this is by far the youngest group site visit that I've been on. It's encouraging to meet people like you, and I think there are two or three other 27-year-olds on this trip, which is pretty shocking. Again, usually if I'm on a group visit like this, I mean, I'm the only person under 40, if not 50. So it, it's good to see kind of some youth in the industry, and I think uh, you know, I think that's a sign for good things ahead. Yeah, it'll probably be a different story next week at the Sprout Symposium. So. Yes, I think that's. I don't fair mean to, to dig, but I think that's fair to say, and I will be at the Sprout Symposium. I, I hope to see you there as well. How, how can people how can people get a hold of you real quick? Yeah, uh, just go to the website, uh, www.mjgcapital.com. Um, there's a contact field there. Reach out, and I will get back to you. Happy to answer any questions about the fund or any picks or questions that you have about juniors out there. I, I always love talking shop. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Have yourself a nice day. Hey, great to have you. Great to be on. Thanks, Trevor. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. 